Uh, before we get started, I'm going to go back to 2 Corinthians. Am I failing to announce something? Okay. Now, you all have to bear with me on this. This is not original with me. I got it from John MacArthur, one of his video. And I don't know whether it's original with him or not. I have an idea he's got people to research for him. Because if he knows all this, he's way, way beyond anything I can imagine. But anyway, I don't know how he could have time. Anyway, you see, if evolution is true, the Big Bang, if that, if that were all true, this is all random. There's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no reason that a doctor ought to think that he can go to any human alive and find his heart. What is it that's regulating us? If, it's a, if it was an explosion, anybody ever see the results of an explosion? Huh? You've caused them. And you didn't intend to make regulation with it. You meant chaos. And you got it. And that's, and that's what explosions always bring. Well, any kind of explosion, and yet they tell us that everything that exists, all of the stars, the planets, the whole earth, and everything in it, was boiled down to a pinhead. Now, you've got to be especially stupid to even entertain something like that. I mean, you really have to be especially stupid. You can't, you can't, boil, you can't compress that water. Put it in the top of one of your cylinders in your engine. Or just put a spoonful of it in there and see what it does to your engine. You won't compress it. You'll bust your engine up. We can't do that. Nobody can. And yet they said everything was like that. All right. So here's what John MacArthur's talking about. He says, now, in Saudi Arabia, they're in process of building a high-rise, 167 floors now that's tall what is uh, the Empire State Building was 103 something like that and that new one they just built in place of the Muslim destroyed twin tires uh, it's a little taller than the Empire State Building but this is 167 floors. Now, he says that's six-tenths of a mile high. So those floors are higher than 10 feet. Anyway, he said, now that, that building had to be designed based on 
fixed laws. If they don't have any idea what, what's going to happen, how could they build a building like that to withstand the wind and everything else? They have to have fixed laws. Well, now that doesn't happen by, by accident. All right. Everything is regulated by fixed laws. He says, now, you're comfortable in one place. We are. Reasonable so. You're now 1.6 million miles away from where you were this time yesterday. Moving through the universe that fast. Earth spins at 1,000 miles an hour right now. Earth orbits around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. So here's Earth, and then the orbit around the sun. And it doesn't go around the sun that fast too too far. Anyway, but that's 67,000. Boy, it doesn't feel like it, does it? <laughs> Our sun and solar system is being dragged through space at 490,000 miles. An hour. Our galaxies are moving toward the great attractor. Now you got I never heard of that before this. That is a region of space a hundred and fifty million light years away. One light year is approximately six trillion miles. So 150 million light years would be, get your, get your little calculator out. You've got to multiply 150 million times six trillion. They don't make one that'll do that. <laughs> And that, uh, the mass of the great attractor, now you know the sun is a hundred times the diameter of the earth. Do you know that? But the great attractor is 100 quintillion times Greater than the sun. Are y'all still with me? I'm not. I don't know what you are. <laughs> A span of 500 million light years. Now. 
we are headed at the rate of 250 miles per second toward the constellation Leo. And it's going to take 230 billion years to complete the cycle around the Milky Way. Now, I'd expect you to get all that. I didn't get it. I had to write it down and go back and then check it again. Did I write that? Huh? Why, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's see. Who did Psalm 19, son? Did you did? Huh? Yeah. You did Psalm 19. Yeah. That kind of put that on my mind. I don't, you know. The heavens declare the glory of God. Now, I don't know how true all that stuff is. I don't know if they can measure all that stuff or not. They seem to think they can. That's just mind boggling and just thinking of all that. But that don't happen in no random universe. <laughs> that does. All right, let's go to. 2 Corinthians 2. Verses 6 and 7. Paul tells them that the church is sufficient to such a man. Oh, chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of or by many. And about everybody pretty much. I haven't read anybody that differs with this. I don't know if I've read that many of them, but I've never heard of anybody really different with it. That he's referencing back in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, that fellow that was in the church, and he told them to exclude him. And evidently they did. So, Paul says that's enough. If he's repented, that's enough. So that contrary-wise, you ought rather to forgive him. Now, I think you have to include everything that's scriptural. If a man say, I repent, forgive him, yeah, okay. And comfort him, lest perhaps such a man once should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. And that's one thing about church discipline. I don't think anybody enjoys church discipline. There may be some that do. I don't know. I don't, I don't enjoy it. I'd rather not have, ever have to do it. Use it. But it's just like in your home with your children. Sometimes you have to. And you do them, do them a lot more harm than good by not, not disciplining them. So it's the same thing in the Lord's house. However... You probably can't count very many churches that discipline their membership. Not very many at all. Well, we've got our instructions, don't we? All right. Verse 8. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. And I think that's all 
providing that he is repentant, then that's certainly the thing to do. If somebody's been disciplined, what they need to do is come back before the church in repentance, and we restore them to fellowship. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. Uh, now, I don't know whether this is true or not. Some said that he did not go to Corinth personally and decided to write just to check them out. Now, I don't know about that. I, I don't know that I can read that into that. But he says, for this end, did I write? He said, I was uh, proven uh, the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things, or you are going to stick with the word in all things. Churches ought to stick with the word in all things. Amen. And, and that's what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. You've got to be obedient in all things. Uh, people get in my, oh, well, we just got to reach out, reach out. Well, no, that's not all we've got to do. We've got to, we've got to, Conduct a church according to the word of God. To whom for you forgive anything, I forgive also. Uh, I'll back you up, is what he's saying. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. So, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his advices or devices. Satan getting advantage. Well, now, how would Satan get advantage of that church if they don't practice church discipline? Ha, huh, he's just got it. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. And that sin travels all the way through the church and destroys the whole church. And see, here, here's the thing about a lot of these churches. Well, they, they still say they preach the gospel. Well, they might do that to a point. But if they're not practicing what the Bible says, they're not practicing church discipline, they don't have a church that, that the Lord rules and reigns there. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers it or not, but in uh, about 250 A.D., in Rome, the church that Paul wrote to there in Rome, they had a big division, big split there. Novation was the guy's name that led in part of it. And the people that stuck with him they all left that church. And the majority of it stayed there at Rome. But we believe that the authority left with the minority. Because they were walking in the truth. But do you know what their issue was about? Essentially it was about church discipline. Because they refused to practice discipline both on those that they exclude and that they receive back in the church. So, discipline. I've got a book on church discipline written by James Leo Garrett, Southern Baptist, New Orleans Baptist Seminary, back in the 60s.
best single book on church discipline I ever read. Top-notch work. You know the first thing out the bat that he talks about? All the Southern Baptist churches that refuse to practice church discipline. (coughs) And he was right. (coughs) Anyway, lest, that's not least, that's lest. If it was least, it'd have an A in there, E-A. It's lest. I've heard preachers call that least. Least, that doesn't mean anything. Least Satan, that doesn't mean anything. Satan's not least. Satan's maximum. On his, on his side, he's the maximum, isn't he? Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. And that word advantage, it's only used a few times. Uh, look at... Uh, Let's see, chapter 7. Chapter 12. Verse 17. Did I make a gain of you? That's the same word. Advantage. Did I make a gain? Did I, de- did I deceive you and fraudulently make a gain of you? That's that word advantage. Verse 18. I desired Titus and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Same word. Uh, then First Thessalonians. Verse six, that no, oh, chapter four, verse six. I'm sorry, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother. Same word. So you see that that advantage, that uh, advantage, is uh, defraudulent, fraudulently take getting advantage over somebody. But then he said, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices, but many times we are. You know, that's just the problem. Paul, I don't think Paul said that I'm not ignorant of his devices. I think Paul said he and those with him were not ignorant of his devices. I'm not sure I'm not ignorant of his devices. And if we were all knowledgeable of Satan's devices, we might head him off at the pass. Uh, Doesn't the Lord say, or James say, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And look at how Jesus resisted Satan. First thing he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And we harp on that all the time, but you can't overemphasize the fact 
that we need to live in the Word of God. Amen. So, Paul says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel. Now, is that a different gospel? You can go through, and it's really nice to do that. Find all of the descriptive terms of the gospel. The gospel of grace, the gospel, the gospel of Paul, God's gospel, the gospel of Christ. Paul said, my gospel. <laughs> How many of them are there? And then just go through them all. That's very, very nice. When I came to Troas, you look at Acts 16. And you see verse 9 in a vision. Well, verse 8. And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over unto Macedonia and help us. And that's what he has reference to over here in 2 Corinthians. When I came to Troas, that's Macedonia, to preach the gospel, preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me. Of the Lord. Uh, look back at First Corinthians sixteen, verse eight, and says, "But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost for a great door." <laughs> And effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Well, here he says, a door was opened unto me of the Lord in Macedonia, Troas. Wonderful. Colossians 4, 3. He said, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Now he's speaking the mystery of Christ. It's not a mystery, is it? He's speaking it. <laughs> but the point is the talk of a door, a door being opened. So it's perfectly legitimate to say, let's pray the Lord to open the door for us that we can and in our position, we need to be doing that. We, we do it, but we need to do more of it. You say, well, just so many of us and old and all that. We're still here, folks. We're still here. We ain't dead. Now, when they shovel dirt in my face, I won't be asking you to pray for God to give me another room here and another door open here. Because I'll figure all these doors have been shut. But now, while we're still here, there's work to be done. Never, it won't cease while, unless the Lord comes and <clears throat> all that. Now, <coughs> Paul said, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother. 
So he was looking for Titus, didn't find him. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Well, he didn't want to leave there. He was troubled. He hadn't found Titus. But the Lord's leading him to go over there. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor that's not savior. Big difference in the two words. Maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. That would be the odor. For we are bound, we are unto God, a sweet savor of Christ. In them that are saved, and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death, unto death. And to the other the savor of life, unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? He says, now to those that that are saved and in them that perish. I think he's talking about saved people and those that the Lord's dealing with. I think that's right there. But he says, to the one we are the savor of death unto death. Now that's plain lost people. And to the other, the savor of life unto life. The same man, or men, the same gospel. Smell sweet to some. And to others. It's the smell of death. Now death is not a pretty thing. It's not normal. Death is not normal. There should never have been death in this world. Death is our enemy. You know what it says in 1 Corinthians 15? The last enemy... That shall be put down is death. Now you listen to the school teachers and all of these liberal dogs. Evolutionary dogs. They say death is the way evolution works. There should never have been death. It is the result of sin. Death is the enemy. Well now, I know David smelled it. Most of us probably have to some degree. Smell death. You don't forget it. It's horrible. Flowers at funerals came about because of the stench of death. 
to try to cover it up because they would stink before they could get them into the ground and they didn't have the means or the know-how or the money to embalm them. That's why they don't, we don't smell that now in a funeral home because they're embalmed. But if they wasn't embalmed, you'd smell it. And sometimes they can't embalm them and they have to keep that coffin shut. <clears throat> I'm glad they do. But a lot of people really hate the smell of gardenias. Because it smells like a funeral home. It's basically a good smell, but it smells like a funeral home. Anybody, you ever hear anybody ever talk about that? So there's definitely smells of death. But Paul said we are the odor of life unto life. But unto death, we smell like death. Whether it's talking about the bad smell or the sweet smell, it's all death. I'll look over here at uh, 2 Samuel 6.11. Uh, 611, yeah. Well, look at 10. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him in the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. That's the Ark of the Covenant. Well, now I want you to go to 1 Samuel 5. <clears throat> and the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. And when the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. That's the idol. And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And when they arose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold, only the stump of Dagon was left to him. <clears throat> Therefore neither the priest of Dagon nor any that come into the ha Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod unto this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod. And you're going to see how heavy his hand was. And he destroyed them and smote them with hemorrhoids. That's hemorrhoids. How do they say you get hemorrhoids? Lifting heavy weights. <laughs> now the Lord's hand was heavy on them. And he struck them with hemorrhoids. 
Imrods, even Ashdod and the colts thereof. And when the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, The ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon our God. And they sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be carried about unto Gath. And they carried the ark of the God of Israel about thither. And it was so that after they had carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both small and great, and they had emrods in their secret parts. Emrods. And therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron. And it came to pass as the ark of God came to Ekron, that the Ekronites cried out, saying, They have brought about the ark of the God of Israel to us to slay us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go again to his own place that it slay us not and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. And the men that died not were smitten with the emrods. And the cry of the city went up to heaven. Now what I want to tell you is that that was the same ark that blessed Obed-Edom for three months. Obed-Edom didn't want to get rid of it. But the Philistines couldn't wait to get rid of it. They wished they'd never seen it. I think that goes along with what Paul's saying, that to the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. The same man, the same gospel. To some it's life, to some it's hope, and to others it is judgment and damnation. Well, everybody didn't act act the same with it. No. And they never will. Because to the one, it's a a smell of life. And to other, it's the stench of death. I hope that helps explain that verse. Okay. And who is sufficient for these things? Who's got enough Knowledge and wherewithal to really understand all this. I think Paul's saying he doesn't. (laughs) And I know I don't. (laughs) I don't have enough for that. We just got to do what God says to do. (coughs) Because we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. Corrupt the word of God. Are there many out there that are corrupting the word of God? They're all over. Do you know many preachers? I mean, I don't hear everybody preaching. I don't know. Do a lot of preachers preach this? How the same gospel is death to some and life to others. Or do they say, oh, well, God wants everybody to be saved. I think that's corrupting the word of God. Don't say stuff like that. It's not true.
Sometimes God withholds the gospel. Right there we talked about when Paul went to Macedonia. He wanted to go into Bithynia, the northern part of Asia Minor. That's where he wanted to go. He felt led to go up there. But the Spirit did not allow him to go up there. Now we don't know that there was anybody else that went up there to preach the gospel. It appears to me that sometimes God doesn't want the gospel everywhere. From our standpoint, we preach it everywhere we can, everywhere we have opportunity. But to say that God wants everybody to be saved, that's not scriptural. And to say that is corrupting the word of God. It's eating away the truth of the word of God. Men need to be men, women, they need to be careful what they do with the word of God. But as of sincerity, sincerity, we read the word of God, we understand the word of God, and we obey the word of God. Remember, Paul said, he said, I he said, uh, he said, I, I that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient unto all things. Checking that church out, Corinth. Are they going to be obedient to the whole counsel of the Word of God? Well, you read some of these bylaws of some of these churches, and they don't intend. I think I might have told you all this once, probably didn't remember it. But that tract I've got back there that I wrote on church this one. Now, there's a lot of people that like that track. And for a track that is good, I'm not bragging, but they did this because it's got the truth in there. But I went to a church to preach in a conference. And they had a big printing ministry. And that pastor said he was going to print my track. Never did. And I found out why. I found out how they conduct church discipline in that church. I found out nobody was ever disciplined on the floor. The deacons met and took care of it and adjusted the roles. It never came before the congregation. Well, I mentioned that in that track. I did. I talked about that very deal. I said, I called that embryonic papalism. Well, an embryo was new form baby. Papalism, the Pope and the papacy, Roman Catholic Church, that's the Roman Catholic Church in embryo. For a Baptist church, independent Baptist church, to be doing that and all, because the pastor was a politician. He wasn't going to let anything negative come before that church. He was going to keep it all positive where he didn't have to face any problems. But that's exactly what Paul's talking about right here. That they would be 
faithful with the truth. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. I mean, we need to think about that. A lot of preachers need to think about that. Are they corrupting the word of God? Are you picking up something that has nothing to do with the Bible and instituting that in the Bible? You're corrupting the word of God. In sincerity, that's what we need to be. As of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. So what did Christ? Christ is a prophet without equal. Every word that Christ ever spoke during his whole time on earth came from God the Father. Every word he spoke came from God. Every word. And that's where we need to be. Jesus was that prophet. Moses said back in Deuteronomy 18, that prophet is going to come and unto him... Shall you hearken? And there's never a prophet like this prophet. There were good prophets, but never one like Jesus, who is prophet without equal. Every word he spoke, every word he speaks in the word of God, it's all from God. Every word. Not one word. Well, I'll get into chapter 3 next time. May the Lord bless you all.